I'll never forget going back and forth with a brilliant client of mine as we dreamed up her thought leadership brand strategy. So she's a coach, she's a consultant, and she works with nonprofits. And when we met, she had recently left her 15-year career as an executive director for this household name, national nonprofit organization. And yet she was having a really hard time owning the word coach in her content, in her profile, and really more than anything in her mind. Like she didn't know if she could really say that she had the experience of coaching people from her previous role. So we went back and forth and I asked her, well, what did you love most about being an executive director? And she said that one of her greatest joys was seeing her team and the people who reported to her throughout the years grow into change leaders in their own right. Perfect response. And I go, well, how did you support them in doing that? Did you coach them? And because I knew her heart and I knew her receipts, I felt like I could really drive that point home as an objective partner who was just holding up a mirror to her transferable skills. And I did ask for her permission to share this story, and we can kind of giggle about it now, but this larger issue is as serious as a heart attack, okay? Because the data shows that women, we don't always think that we're allowed to bring in past yet perfectly transferable skills into the language that we use to show up and describe ourselves with today. Like if it wasn't explicitly in our job title or our job description, we don't have permission to say that we've got expertise in it. And again, with everything I share about, you know, gender differences, this kind of thing is not our fault. It's a natural response to the biases that are baked into our systems. So research shows that to apply for a job, women feel like they need to meet 100% of the criteria, while men usually apply after meeting about 60%. And behavioral research data from LinkedIn actually backs this up because they say that women tend to apply to 20% fewer jobs that they have been checking out as compared to men. And so as social impact-driven consultants and coaches and service providers, we may not be applying for jobs in the same way, but we do apply for speaking opportunities, we submit proposals, right? We stretch ourselves with campaigns and we launch new offers, all of which require communicating our strengths, our skills, and most of all, value. So remember, the experiences and skills that you've gained up to this point are perfectly valid and transferable. And as I recently went through my first sort of technical launch in my business recently, I realized that my experiences from a career in social impact supported that process tremendously. And so in this episode, I want to share how our transferable skills can set us up for success as entrepreneurs and people building a thought leadership brand, and hopefully convince you to factor in your own lived experiences into the ways that you show up and shine in the world. So keep on listening. Three, two, one. Welcome to the Campfire Circle. I'm your host, Tanya Bhattacharya, and I empower purpose-driven women in building influential personal brands that drive change and raise revenue. We all talk about getting a seat at the table, but why though? Who wants to sit in a stuffy boardroom anyway? Let's reimagine the ultimate space of leadership as a campfire circle 
where we share stories that inspire movements, build brave communities to huddle together with for warmth, and where there is always room. Come sit with us. People who grew up in the social impact space are uniquely equipped to run businesses and build influential personal brands that drive change and raise revenue. And this may seem obvious in theory, but an individual practice like in real time, in the moment, you know, as you're getting ready to like, you know, turn on your flow desk sequences to launch your thing. Sometimes it's not obvious, you know, we forget And I just thought this conversation might be helpful as a lot of folks begin to or have been leaving the nonprofit field or social impact space to start their own consulting firms and coaching practices, whether it's because they're looking to be at home with their family more, or maybe they are realizing that the nonprofit industrial complex will not create the long-term visionary changes that they're working towards. And that may be being, as my friend Karen Bartlett says, an entrepreneurial activist is actually the right path for them. And so I want to talk first about how being a fundraiser and then how being rooted in the mental health field, how both of those experiences and skill sets actually set me up for what I'm doing today. And so in some ways, this conversation, this episode is just as much for me as it is for you. I may need this as a pep talk in the future when I get into my my Pisces feels. But what you might get out of it, especially if you've got experience in the social impact arena, is a reminder of how you can use these skills, the skills that you've gained over your lifetime to be helpful in your next launch, your next campaign, your next offer, and how you can factor those stories and experiences into your ongoing thought leadership content. So let's start with fundraising, because even if you've never been a professional fundraiser, you have probably fundraised for something, right? Or friend raised or essentially held a larger vision to attract support and resources to try and make that vision a reality. So, you know, how do we communicate vision? So if you stop and think about the last fundraiser that you attended, whether it was virtual or in person, or maybe it was a, you know, a letter in the mail, Can you remember any of the facts or the figures that were presented? Maybe you can, you probably can't, but I would guess that you remember a story that was contained in that thing because it's our stories that attract others to us as they see themselves reflected in that story and begin to buy into a shared vision. And so, you know, a major transferable skill here is storytelling because that is the piece that helps people imagine a future that they can't yet see and get on the same page towards that direction. And so it's about, you know, living in the vision versus getting into the weeds. And that's not to say that we can't hang out with the dandelions every now and then, but we have training and we have practice at holding the long-term and making that vision so clear that our supporters can begin to see it and feel it and want to get involved. And so how this can show up when you're launching something or putting out an offer as an entrepreneur or, you know, in your thought leadership is taking great care to not highlight how we're getting there, but instead where we're going and why. And so it's not about how comfy the seats on the plane are and how much leg room you're going to get, how many snacks you're going to, you know, be, be served. But instead, it's about the beautiful destination that we're headed to. Because thought leadership and launching offers, again, is so vision focused, yet it can be so tempting to talk about 
the plane. And so in my case, with my group offer, the Kindling Collective, what that could have looked like is talking a bunch about the Circle membership platform and how many modules you'll get. And we have this number of coaching calls. And that is important information to have somewhere, you know, at some point. But it feels so important to us that oftentimes we lead with this because we've spent so much time perfecting the offer and creating something we're really proud of and that we love. But to someone who's not as intimately aware of our service, like it just might not connect them with the deeper desire of where they want to go. So instead, how can you communicate what life could look like in three months, in six months, in a year or longer as a result of taking this aligned action today? And then backing that up with social proof or real stories of the people that we have served, right? And so looking back at my launch, like I did, I did some of that. I probably could have done a better job, but you know what? That like this whole thing is like being in a science lab. It's like be, you know, this, these are all experiments and we get to look back and revise and then do better once we know better. And so the other skill set or piece around fundraising is the knowledge of how to move people through a journey. So usually when people first find you or they enter into your orbit, like let's say they have followed you for the first time on LinkedIn, they hit the follow button. And so they are generally not ready yet to get involved in what you have to offer. The industry stat that's sort of thrown around all the time is that at any given time, 3% of people have a need for what you're putting out there. And so in fundraising, I'd say that there are sort of three major ways that we build connective tissue with our audience. And so there's priming, there's cultivating, and there's stewarding. And so if we took the skill set and applied it as entrepreneurs, as you know, mission-driven consultants, as specialists, as service providers, what might that look like? So I'll talk about how this looked like for my own launch. So priming is the first piece, and that is when you are getting ready for the ask or the launch. It's you're setting the stage and you're getting people ready for your offer, whether you're asking for a gift or you're asking for a sale or you're asking for something else. You might have heard of this old marketing rule, the rule of seven, which pretty much says that people have got to interact with your brand at least seven times before taking action. And I don't know if that's an exact science. And I would actually guess that that number is significantly higher now, right, in this day and age. But essentially, you know, it tells us that value building, that relationship building, that affinity building is definitely a process. It's not like a one and done. And so priming with my recent launch, it looked like doing a weekly testimonial series over the summer where I got to highlight and amplify one of my past client friends. And I'll link that series in the show notes so you can take a look at what that looked like. But really, I feel like it was a win-win because I got to amplify them and give them flowers and get more eyeballs on their social impact work while also indirectly sharing the value of thought leadership work. And then secondly, in all of my communications leading up to my launch webinar, I primed my audience with the fact that there would be an invitation to join the Kindling Collective group program during the webinar although there was no obligation, right? It was included in every LinkedIn post, every email, all of it. And so, because why wouldn't I include that and let them know? Like, can you think of anything worse than putting in the work of planning a beautiful gala or a breakfast or any other type of fundraiser, but like keeping the fact that you're going to, that it's a fundraiser, a secret, that there will be an ask at the end? 
Otherwise, like it would be so awkward for the audience when they realize what's actually happening. And even worse, it would result in less of an impact because you haven't primed your audience. So that's priming, right? And then cultivating, which doesn't 100% line up in this example, but I think donor cultivation skills is kind of like the skill set of having thoughtful conversations in the DMs and the ways that you nurture people, right? After they've given you the gift of time in a webinar and are possibly considering joining the program. So there's a lot of power here in sending direct messages one-on-one, not to ever convince or to wheedle or what I call icky pitch, because sometimes it can feel like asking any question or sending any message can come off as salesy. But I think it's about intention. And listen, this is coming from a deeply introverted person who would much rather go live in the forest with a society of woodland creatures, right? Honestly. But I also deeply care about seeing more overlooked and underestimated leaders dismantle systematically limited beliefs and begin sharing their insights and begin sharing their opinions so that we can move the world towards a more just future. And so that vision wins every time. So every time I'm like, oh, I really don't want to send this DM because this person's going to think I'm sleazy or forward or too much. It's really about feeling like we're going to be too much. And so this piece has to stem from a true spirit of wanting to support, knowing that our offer or our program can truly help that person if we think that it can. And if not, or if it's not a fit for that person for any reason, bless and release, right? So I got to attend a fundraising training once in New York. I was so good. It was with the incredible Lynn Twist. And essentially, she said something like she never convinces, she simply makes a stand. And so that's what we get to do when we're inviting people into our offer, right? We, we make a stand. And so the third part is donor stewardship, which I think can kind of be equated to amazing customer support and making sure that our clients receive the program promise that we're putting out there. I just launched my program, so I don't have too much to say about this other than that this is the most important thing of all, because (laughs) if your clients aren't getting a good result, like stop everything, like halt all of it and figure this part of it out. And I also think this skill set can be equated to stewarding your referral partners. And maybe that's more of an exact comparison, because how are you supporting the people that are supporting you? And how are you practicing community care? Because as I did you know, my little onboarding survey to see where the people who launched my program came from, many of them, you know, talked about that they, you know, went to this event or saw me at this speaking event where where one of my friends invited me to take the stage, right? And so it's one thing to turn your audience into a community, but community building goes two ways. And so if you're not supporting your community back, it probably won't grow into the supportive force that it could be. I'm not talking about like a quid pro quo thing, but instead, like just be friends with your friends. If they're sick, maybe send them a little care package, you know, like if they if you hear them on a podcast, sharing something really vulnerable, maybe send them some comfy socks and a love note, you know, like stuff like that. That's a little brain dump of how a career and experiences and fundraising can support you in your entrepreneurial path, whether you have those experiences or not. Hey, if anything you're hearing today inspires you to get more visible as a go-to trusted voice for your audience and drive change towards your deeper mission, I've got something for you. 
LinkedIn is my favorite place to share my stories and build relationships with my co-conspirators and brand new friends. So I put together a free resource with 14 prompts to create your next post on LinkedIn. Take all the guesswork out of what to say and just start building your impact and influence. Be sure to tag me in your post so I can come by, cheer you on and amplify your message. You can find those free prompts in the show notes. Okay, back to the episode. I also have the gift of growing up in the addiction treatment mental health space. And when I say gift, it really was a gift to enter this field right out of college because it helped shape me into who I am. And it taught me the importance of managing our physical, emotional, and spiritual health in bite-sized daily actions over a lifetime, as well as the power of sharing our vulnerable stories and getting support from a peer community. Because shame festers alone, but as our friend Brene says, shame cannot survive being spoken, right? So, you know, growing up in the mental health space taught me how important managing your energy is. It taught me the importance of small habits creating big transformative change over time. It taught me the importance of holding each other, not physically, but energetically, like in our small microcosms and our small groups so that that healing, so that transformation can ripple out into the world. But skills-wise, one thing for sure that I can point out is the importance of advocacy. And many of us work on an issue that has bias or stigma stuck to it. So for example, anti-racism work, which is actually love work, like my client friend Laura Mae Lindo says, there's so much misunderstanding and discomfort around it. And that's just one example of the spaces, right, that, that carry stigma. And so how do we talk about these things on LinkedIn and show up consistently while feeling safe and managing our energy and feeling adjusted, even if other people are in their own process around not understanding or not even wanting to understand what we're talking about? And so addiction is one of these issues. And I remember early on in my career going to various places to talk about our work, to garner support, and there would be some folks who would say, well, why don't they just stop using? Or, well, why should we donate? Why should we support when they are just an outcome of making their own bad choices? And this was, you know, like almost 15 years ago and the understanding around addiction has changed dramatically, which is good. But regardless, if we're going to make a stand for the people that we support who are dealing with the problem that we solve, and if we are uniquely positioned to bring insights and a new way of thinking into the world so that at least some people can begin the process of changing their minds and their hearts. And if all of it is couched in this desire to imagine and create a more just future, we've got to figure out how to feel safe advocating for it, right? And at the time of this recording, I dropped like a whole module about that inside the Kindling Collective, but I'll give you just a teeny tiny teaser. And that is, I want you to really sit with the question who actually benefits from your silence or your invisibility or your best kept secretness? Like who or what will continue to fester and grow stronger if you and the community that will continue to be inspired to share their own stories, right? If you guys don't continue to stand out as you stand up for your mission. So just consider that. And I'm definitely not saying you need to martyr yourself around your issue at all. But I have found that when you speak up, it prompts a community that has been waiting 
almost for permission to do the same. And then finally, the last thing that being so deeply rooted in the mental health field has taught me and that has supported my business growth and my thought leadership strategy is the importance of tying in our strengths, needs, abilities, and preferences, or SNAP. So I talked about this a little bit with Jordan Gill in her podcast episode, which is a great one. I will link to that in the show notes. She is so, she's just, I just, she's amazing. But essentially the SNAP approach is an element of person-centered care. So a therapist or a counselor will take into account each patient's strengths, needs, abilities, and preferences when they are creating a treatment plan in conjunction with that patient. And I know that our business plans are not the same thing as a treatment plan for mental health. I know that. But I think that sometimes we forget to bring in our own strengths, needs, abilities, and preferences in our own businesses and our consultancies and our coaching practices. Like we might see our competitor or colleague or even a stranger do something like start a YouTube channel. And then we think we need to start a YouTube channel without stopping to think about the fact like, hey, I hate being on video, (laughs) right? So what are your snaps and how can you use them to maximize your visibility without setting yourself up to start hating the business that you're creating? So just pause and think about that before chasing the next shiny object. There's a lot of shiny objects bouncing around out here. And honestly, they all work. That's the thing. LinkedIn is where I've chosen to make my playground because it fits my snap. It works for me, but you get to make that choice for yourself based on your own snap. So my friend, what are your transferable skills and knowledge pieces? What were you born or raised or trained to do? Like, what are the things that you could write a manual or wax poetic on a podcast episode about? And how does it apply to what you do now? And then finally, how can you use those stories in your ongoing thought leadership content to further position yourself as an approachable authority in your space? Because these skills are not random pieces of knowledge, but instead they actually make up a mosaic of lived experience that have positioned you to do what you do now with excellence and grace, even if it doesn't always feel like it or if it feels like you're bragging to talk about it because you're not. I would love for you to reach out and let me know how this landed. I'm especially curious how you found this episode because a few times during the recording, I was like, who is this actually for? But you know what? It was fun for me to do. And so maybe it's just for me and that's okay. So reach out, let me know, and I will talk to you next time. What'd you think? Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or even better, reach out and let me know through lumosmarketing.co. Yes, that's lumos as in the illumination spell from Harry Potter. Because when you shine, magical things happen. You can get social with me on LinkedIn. And of course, check out the show notes to stay in touch with our guests. Let's talk soon.